This is Theater Royal. Tonight's play, the fourth in the important series of command performances transcribed by the greatest stars of the English theater and their distinguished host, Sir Lawrence Olivier. Tonight's guests, Robert Donat and his wife, Renee Asherson, in The Sire de Malatroit's Door by Robert Louis Stevenson. The National Broadcasting Company presents, transcribes, Sir Lawrence Olivier, your host in Theatre Royal. This is Lawrence Olivier. My guest this week is an actor who will be familiar to you through films such as Goodbye, Mr. Chips, The Citadel, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Ghost Goes West, The Winslow Boy, The Magic Box, and many more. His name, needless to say, is Robert Donat. He has chosen a story by Robert Louis Stevenson, and it gives me particular pleasure to tell you that you will hear with him in this play an actress who it was my own good fortune to have with me in the role of Catherine in my film of Shakespeare's Henry V. I should perhaps remind you that while we all know her as Renee Asherson, she is also Mrs. Robert Donat. Here, then, is Robert Donat in the role of Denis de Beaulieu with Renée Asherson as Blanche de Maltois in Robert Louis Stevenson's story, The Sieur de Maltois' Door. It happened in 1429. France was still under arms, for Burgundy had not yet captured our Joan of Arc and the English had not yet burned her. I was a younger man, more headstrong, and I fought for France. It was September, and I had ridden into Chateau Landon under a safe conduct, and I had been to dine with a friend. It's been like old times seeing you again, Dennis. Well, I couldn't pass so near the town and not look in on an old friend. And you really must go. Oh, it's after midnight, and I have to make an early start in the morning. Well, two of my men will take you back to the inn. Then. No nonsense. It's only five minutes' walk. But the town's full of soldiers, an English garrison and three companies of Burgundians. Well, what of it? I'm frightened of neither of them. The streets are not safe. Suppose you were challenged. No, I have my safe conduct. Even so, I still think it better. No, than... there's no need. I shall be up at the inn before they can find me in the dark. Good night, Pierre. I shall be back with you in a couple of weeks. Well, good night, then. But be careful. The town's alive with soldiers. Au revoir, Pierre. It was a moonless night and the streets were darker than a dungeon. They wound their way among the sleeping houses, many of them so narrow that I could touch both walls at once. I had only a general sense of direction to go by. I knew that my inn lay somewhere beside the church and that the way to it was uphill. When the lane I was following turned to the left and began to lead sharply downward, I knew that I'd missed my way. But I still went on in hopes of a bit more light. And at last, I found myself up against a high stone wall. The lane had come to a dead end. There was nothing to do but turn back. Then, suddenly, I heard them coming. Soldiers, coming this way. I, I can't go back. If they come down here, I shall... Confound this dark. Hey. Oh, who goes there? Quick, where the devil was that doorway? 
Ah, here we are, in here. Who goes there? I can't get out, it's a dead end. Bring the torches. But Gundians, well, if they want to fight with my back against this door, it's queer, the door's open. All right, then, slip inside. I had slipped inside the door and partly closed it behind me to conceal myself. Nothing was farther than my thoughts than to close it altogether, but for some inextricable reason, perhaps by a spring or a weight, the ponderous mass of oak whipped itself out of my fingers and clanked to with a formidable rumble and a noise like the falling of an automatic bar. At least I was safe from the soldiers. Yes, I'd escaped the soldiers. I heard them go back up the lane, cursing and shouting. But I only escaped one danger to fall into another. For the door that had closed itself behind me could not be opened again. It was shut, fast and firm as a rock. I was caught there, trapped in a strange house. And still in this confounded darkness. Is anyone there? I stood there in the pitch dark, and somehow I knew that I was not alone. It was as though many men were standing there in the darkness near me, holding their breaths and not moving a muscle. I felt that I was in deadly peril. At last, I saw a chink of light. It was there at the end of the corridor, a chink of light through the arras that covered the doorway of a room. Whoever was in that room, at least I should be able to see them and not be stabbed in the dark, as I might be there in the darkness of the passage. I made towards the doorway, lifted the arras, and entered the room. Good evening, my friend. I've been expecting you for some time. I'm afraid there must be some mistake. Whoever you may have been expecting, it wasn't me. I never intended to intrude on you like well, this. Well, here you are, which is the main point. Sit down and make yourself comfortable. I must apologize. But that door... What about my door? A little piece of ingenuity. <laughs> you say you never expected to meet me. Well, old people like me must expect such reluctance now and then. And when it touches our honor, we find out ways of overcoming it. You may have arrived uninvited, but believe me, you're very welcome. You persist in your mistakes, sir. There can be no question of your wanting to see me. I am a stranger here. My name is Denis de Beaulieu. If I'm in your house, it is only because... My young friend, permit me to have my own ideas on the matter. They may not be the same as yours, but time will show which of us is right. As you wish. <laughs> Sir, you're insulting me. If you're out of your mind, I have better things to do than stand here being laughed at by a lunatic. My conscience is clear, but you refuse to listen to explanations. You're trying to make a fool of me, but I don't propose to let you. If you won't open your door and let me leave, I'll hack it down with my, my sword. My dear nephew, sit down. Nephew, you lie in sit your throat. Sit down, you rogue. Do you think I've nothing but a door to keep you here? If you don't want to be bound hand and foot, sit where you are and God be with you. Do you mean I'm a prisoner? I'm stating facts. You can put your own construction on them. Do you suppose that when I arranged that little contrivance that let you into my house, I stopped short at that? I advise you to regard yourself as a young buck, freely conversing with an old gentleman. I might have expected better of you, sir. I see by the arms above your hearth that you are of the Malatroff family. Quite right. I am the sire, the Malatroff. 
And when it is a question of my honor... I have done nothing to impugn it. I have my own opinion about that. Ah, come in, Father, come in. Is she in a better frame of mind? She's more resigned, Monsieur. Resigned? Lord help her, the girl's hard to please. A likely fellow, not ill-born, and of her own choosing to. What more could she have? The situation is unusual, Monsieur. She's ashamed. She should have felt rather more ashamed before she began the dance. It was none of my choosing. But since she has begun it, she can carry it to an end. Monsieur de Beaulieu, may I present you to my niece? She has been waiting for your arrival, I may say, with even greater impatience than I have. Uh, will you come this way, please? As you wish, She's sir. She's waiting for you in my private chapel, and as you will see, she is fittingly dressed for you uh, as a bride. Blanche, I have brought a friend to see you, my little girl. Turn round and give him your hand... It's good to be devout, but it is also necessary to be polite. Uncle, that isn't the man. He isn't the one. <laughs> of course not. I expected as much. So unfortunate that you couldn't remember his name. But, Uncle, I have never seen this person till this moment. Never set eyes on him. I never wish to see him again. Sir, if you are a gentleman, you will bear me out. Have you ever seen me before this? To speak for myself, I have not had the pleasure. This is the first time I have ever seen your niece, Mazzella. I'm sorry to hear it, but it's never too late to begin. So I will give him two hours to make up for lost time before we proceed with the ceremony. Uncle, you can't be in earnest. I swear I will stab myself rather than be forced on that man. You are dishonoring your family. I am dishonoring it. Uncle, have pity there isn't a woman in the world who wouldn't prefer death to a marriage like this. Don't you believe me? Is it possible that you still think that this... this... that you still think he is the man? Quite frankly, I do. But let me explain to you once and for all, Blanche de Maltrois. When you took it into your head to dishonor your family... Uncle! Dishonor the family and the name I've borne in peace and war for more than 60 years, you, you forfeited not only the right to question what I do, but even the right of looking me in the face. Please. If your father had been alive, he would have spat on you and turned you out of doors, as you very well know. And you can be thankful that you have only me to deal with, mademoiselle. It is my, my duty to get you married without delay, and out of pure goodwill, I have tried to find your gallant for you. Personally, I still believe I've succeeded. You haven't. You haven't. Sir, tell him. Tell him that you are not the one. Monsieur, I've told you already, you're making a terrible mistake. Very well, then, that's as may be. But I say this before all the heavenly angels. If this is not the man Blanche de Maltra, I care not a jack straw. Monsieur, are you completely mad? I tell you. As for you, Blanche, I advise you to be polite to your young friend. For you can take my word for it. The next bridegroom may be less appetizing. Come, Father. your part in all this? What are you doing here? What indeed? 
I'm a stranger in the town, traveling through under a safe conduct. I went to have supper with a friend and was returning alone to my inn. I lost my way in the dark and I found myself outside your door. I was suddenly confronted by a lot of drunken soldiers, Burgundians. And I stepped into the doorway so that at least they couldn't surround me. I was going to make a fight for it, but I found the door open. So I slipped inside like a fool and the door slammed shut behind me. I suppose you don't believe that. Yes, I believe you. I know that the door was open. And I can well believe that it shut behind you. But why? It was a trap. Only the trap was laid for somebody else. I see. Well, I've told you how I come to be here. Perhaps you'll tell me a few things yourself. What does this comedy mean? And what's going to be the end of it? I wish I knew the end of it myself. Well, sir, you have told me your story. It is only fair that I should tell you mine. I only wish I could do so without blushing. If you would rather not tell me, mademoiselle, I've no desire to pry into your secrets. I'm only concerned with my own affairs. I seem to have become a part of them, sir. My name is Blanche de Malatois. My father and mother died when I was a child, and I've lived all my life with my uncle here. I have been very unhappy. I can well believe it. Three months ago, a young captain began to stand near me every day in church. I could see that I pleased him, and I was glad that someone should love me. I should be ashamed of it, but when he slipped a letter into my hand, I took it home and read it. It was very wrong of me. I should be the last to blame you, mademoiselle. Since then, he has written me many letters. He was so anxious to speak to me, poor fellow, that he begged me to leave the door open some evening so that he might talk to me on the stairs. I begin to understand. How my uncle came to suspect, I don't know. But it is hard to keep anything from him. This morning, as we came from Mass, my uncle took my hand in his and forced it open and read my little note, walking by my side all the while. When he had finished, he gave it back to me with great politeness. It asked me once again to leave the door open. And this has been the ruin of us all. So it was your uncle who left the door open? Yes. He kept me strictly in my room till the evening, then ordered me to dress as you see me, like a bride. I had refused to tell him the young captain's name, so he was determined to lay a trap for him. I was terrified, even when I found out what my uncle intended. For why should this young man wish to take me on such shameful terms? Perhaps he has only been trifling with me, or... I might have made myself cheap in his eyes. I can well suppose that he might have despised me. I am sure that you must do so as well. On the contrary, mademoiselle. Now, you have taken me into your confidence. I will try and deserve it. Where is your uncle now? I think he is writing in his room. Then will you take me to him? I think I can answer him. Come. Monsieur, as you said yourself, I suppose I'm entitled to some say in the matter of this marriage. So let me tell you at once, 
I refuse to be forced upon your niece. If she had been freely offered me, I should have been proud to accept her hand, for she is a good and, and beautiful woman. As things are, I have the honor of refusing her. I am afraid, Monsieur de Beaulieu, you don't quite understand. You have a choice, yes. Outside this window, there is an iron ring in the wall. If you cannot bring yourself to marry my niece, I shall have you hanged from that ring at sunrise. I shall regret it, believe me. For it's not your death I want, merely my niece's establishment in life. Monsieur, I One tell you... One moment, please. Your family, Monsieur de Beaulieu, is all very well in its way, but if you sprang from Charlemagne, you could not refuse the hand of a Maltois with impunity. Not if she was as ugly as a gargoyle. Neither my niece, nor you, nor my own feelings move me in a matter like this. The honor of my house has been compromised, and I believe you to be the guilty person. Even if you are not, you are now in the secret. That being so, if you refuse to wipe out the stain, your blood be on your own head. If I cannot cure the dishonor to my family, I can at least stop the scandal. There are other ways of settling these matters, monsieur. You wear a sword, and I believe you've used it before now. Oh, when I was younger, I should have been delighted to honor you, Monsieur de Beaulieu, but I'm now too old. Armed retainers are the sinews of age, and I must employ what strength I can. Uh, Father Paul. Monsieur? If you will draw back the arras, Monsieur de Beaulieu will see that I'm telling the truth. As you say, Monsieur. Mm, you see? Corridor is crowded with men, and they are fully armed. So I see. Well, you and the lady seem to prefer this room to the chapel for what is left of your two hours. I will, I will gladly resign it to you. Monsieur, I am not afraid of... There is no hurry if you dislike the thought of hanging. There will be plenty of time later to throw yourself out of the window or be cut to pieces by my men. <laughs> two hours more are not to be despised. A great many things can happen in two short hours. Monsieur, I beg of you. You see, my niece has something to say to you. If you will give me your word of honor not to do anything desperate until the two hours are up, I will take my men off and leave you both to yourselves. Please, Monsieur de Beaulieu. Very well, Monsieur. I give you my word of honor. Thank you. I shall return when the time is up. De Beaulieu, I won't let you die. I will marry you, after all. You seem to think, mademoiselle, that I am very much afraid of death. Oh, no, no. I know that you're not a coward. It is for my own sake. I couldn't bear to have you killed for a scruple. I'm afraid that you underrate the difficulty. You don't seem to realize, mademoiselle, what you are too generous to refuse, I may be too proud to accept. Besides, your noble feelings towards me have made you forget what you owe to others. I owe nothing to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> she walked suddenly away and fell rather than sat on her uncle's chair at the other side of the room. I was in the very acme of embarrassment. Seeing a stool, I plumped down upon it for something to do, playing with the guard of my rapier and wishing myself dead a thousand times over. 
My eyes wandered round the room. There were wide spaces between the furniture and the light fell boldly and cheerlessly over all. The dark outside air looked in coldly through the windows. The regular sobs of Blanche de Maltois measured out the time like the ticking of a clock to remind me that my last two hours were running out and death was on the march. Can I do nothing to help you, monsieur? Mademoiselle, if I've said anything to offend you, believe me, it was for your sake, not for mine. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, mademoiselle. I wish there was something that I could do to help you. There can't be a man in all France who wouldn't gladly die to help you. I know that you can be brave and generous. I want you to know that I am grateful for that. But is there no way that I can help you? Now or, or afterwards? Of course there is. Let me sit beside you as if I were a friend, instead of just an intruder who's got mixed up in your troubles. Try and forget how embarrassing all this is to both of us. Let me enjoy these last moments with you and, and, and you'll be giving me the greatest possible pleasure. You are very gallant, monsieur. But somehow it hurts me more than ever. Come and sit beside me, if you like. And if you can find anything to say to me, well, at least you will find a, a friendly listener. <laughs> but, monsieur de Beaulieu, how can I look you in the face? Listen. I haven't very much longer to live, mademoiselle, so try not to make those last few moments unhappy. They will be unhappy if, if you make me feel that I can't do anything to help you, not even by giving my life. I'm sorry. I'm very selfish. I will try to be braver and stop crying for your sake, monsieur. There, now. That's better. But surely there must be something I can do for you. Something... There must be some friends that I could go and find for you, if only to give them your goodbyes. Ask me to do anything you can think of, the more the better, for then perhaps I shan't feel so helpless. Put it in my power to do something for you more than weep. Please, it, it isn't as bad as all that. Truly it isn't. My mother's married again and has another family to think about. My brother Gisha will inherit my fortune. I'll be surprised if that doesn't amply console him for my death. You are cynical, monsieur, or bitter. No, no, not really. I I'm trying to be philosophical. When a man's in a fair way and sees all life opening up in front of him, he seems to himself to cut a very important figure in the world. His horse whinnies at him, the trumpets blow, and the girls look out of the window as he rides into town before his company. He receives many assurances of trust and regard, sometimes in a letter, sometimes face to face with persons of great consequence falling on his neck. <laughs> it must be wonderful and exciting being a man. Oh, it's not surprising if his head is turned for a time. But once he's dead, if he was as brave as Hercules or as wise as Solomon, he'd soon be forgotten. Not always. I've only a few friends just now, and once I'm dead, I shall have none. You are forgetting me, monsieur. You're a kind girl, mademoiselle. But you exaggerate what I'm doing for you. No. You mistake me if you think I am so easily touched by my own concerns. I shall remember you. Because you are 
the noblest man I've ever met. And because you have a spirit that would have made even a peasant famous throughout the land. And yet here I am, dying in a mousetrap, with no more noise about it than my own squeaking. No, no, you mustn't think meanly of yourself. You, my champion, anyone who gives his life for another, as you are doing, will be met in heaven by all the heralds and angels of God. You have no cause to belittle yourself. Neither have you. Do you really think that I'm beautiful? Very beautiful. Oh, I'm glad. Do you think there are many men in France who have been asked in marriage by a beautiful girl and who have refused her to her face? I know that you men would half despise such a triumph, but believe me, Women know more of what is precious in love. There's nothing should set a person higher in his own esteem. And women prize nothing more dearly. Oh, you're kind, mademoiselle. But you can't make me forget that I was asked in pity, not for love. I am not so sure of that. Monsieur de Beaulieu, I know how you must despise me. And I feel that you are right to do so. I'm too poor a creature to occupy a thought of your mind, even though you are going to die for me this morning. But when I asked you to marry me, it was because I respected and admired Mademoiselle, you. please, don't. Yes, and loved you with my whole soul from the very moment that you took my part against my uncle. If you could have seen yourself as I saw you and just how noble you looked, you wouldn't despise me. You'd pity me. But how can I? Wait. Although I have laid aside all reserve and told you that, remember that I know your feelings towards me already. Believe me, I am not going to weary you with importunities into marrying me. I have some pride of my own. And I swear that if you are now to go back on your word, I would no more marry you than I would marry my uncle's groom. It's a small love that shies at a little pride. Come over here to the window. Dawn is breaking. Already? Well, the night has been long enough. Oh, what shall we say to my uncle when he returns? What you will. Oh. Blanche. Blanche. You've seen whether I fear death. You must know by now that I'd sooner jump out of that window and die down there under the ramparts than lay a finger on you without your free and full consent. But if you, if you care for me at all, don't let me lose my life in, in a misapprehension. For I love you, I love you better than the whole world. And though I'll die for you gladly, it would be like all the joys of paradise to live and spend my life in loving you? After all you've heard about me. I've heard nothing. The captain's name was Florimond de Chandivert. I did not hear it. Blanche. Oh, my love. So, 
I see you've overcome your aversion, Monsieur de Beaulieu. Monsieur. Uncle. Good morning, niece. Good morning, uncle. And good morning to you too, nephew. Good morning, uncle. <laughs> Father Paul. Monsieur. Let us go back into the chapel. I fear the candles may now have all burned out. Oh, sir, but we shall see well enough. Yes, Uncle. Look, it is a clear, sunny morning. This is Laurence Olivier again. I would like to thank Robert Donat for his performance as Denis de Beaulieu and René Acheson, who played Blanche de Maltois, together with the other members of the cast. In this week's play, based on Robert Louis Stevenson's story, The Sieur de Maltois' Door.